Well, good morning. Uh, Wednesday, I received an email from Richard that told us about his procedure that he was going to be having and asking for someone to preach. And the other associate pastors are already busy leading in worship and helping out and stand as a way today. And so it, it came down to me. And my first response was, can I say no? And he said no. And that's what we believe about predestination. And so... We find ourselves today in the book of Isaiah. If you have your pew Bibles, we will be in page 1071. Again, the book of Isaiah chapter 8 is where we will be. Uh, Isaiah is one of the major uh, Old Testament prophets from the Old Testament. There are several of them, but Isaiah is a unique prophet. He is quoted more times than any other prophet in the New Testament. And today we're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah chapter 8. This is right after chapter 6, which is famous for Isaiah's vision of God, where he stands in God's throne room and says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. And so we will be in Isaiah chapter 8. You know, there's a lot of interesting passages in the scripture. There's a lot of um, intriguing passages that you don't hear preached on too often. Some of those are work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, others of those would be that know very well both the kindness and severity of the Lord. And so I want to address some of those today. Before we do that, let us begin with prayer and then we'll dive right in. Bow with me. Father God, this morning we ask now as we turn to your word, that you would illuminate the scripture in our lives. Lord, too often we hear the word and we walk away and are quick to forget it. And so this morning, Father, I pray that we would be transformed, that your Holy Spirit would already be moving in this place, that you would be working on transforming us so that we might then go and transform the heart of this city as you have called us to do. So watch over us as we um, dissect Isaiah chapter 8, as we work on this passage. Help us to glorify your name and to be drawn near to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So again, we find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 8. We'll be picking up in verse 11. Verse 11 says this. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people call a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble and they will fall and be broken. And they will be, they will be snared and captured. Bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Here I am and the children of the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols to Israel and the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. I want to talk very simply today about fear. And I want to talk specifically about the fear of the Lord and what we as believers are called to have in our hearts and how it transforms us. Um, There are several types of fear, and fear is based on estimation and reverence. And so there's a fun type of fear. If we can just be really honest, there's a fun type of fear. Um, Some of us like scary movies. Does anybody like scary movies? Some of us like a good suspenseful moment where it jumps and scares us. 
Uh, some of us love roller coasters. I personally love roller coasters. I don't just put my hands up on roller coasters. I stand up on roller coasters. That's how much I love them. Um, I love roller coasters, and, and it's a suspenseful thing for me, but I know there's no real danger. It's like going to the zoo and looking at a tiger or a lion. You know there are two inches of glass in between you and real danger. And so there's a fun type of fear that when there is a facsimile of danger, when there is an impression of danger, but it's not really dangerous, we enjoy that kind of stuff. There's also a bad type of fear. There's a type of fear that can paralyze us. There's a type of fear that can stifle and stymie us in our social interactions. There's a fear that can slow us down in our mental health. There's a fear that can slow us down in our, our physical health. There's a fear that can paralyze us, and it's a bad type of fear. And there's also a good type of fear. Uh, there is a reason that when you leave here and you get in your car, you will buckle your seatbelt up because you know that for the most part driving is safe, but there could be some teenager texting on their phone that could careen through a lane and crash into your car. There's a good type of fear. There's a good type of fear. My, I was one of three children, and my family's watching me right now on live stream. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and whenever I would do something wrong, my mom would use a blitzkrieg tactic because she found out very early that I was faster than her. This was back when you could legally spank children, and my mom would spank us when we were misbehaving. She found out that I was faster than her, and I could get to my room and lock the door before she could get to me, and so she used six words, I'm going to call your father. And that produced a good type of fear in me. It was a reverential fear that leaned me back into discipleship, that leaned me back into being a good kid. It's a good type of fear. And today we want to investigate what the good type of fear is. So look back at verse 11 of chapter 8. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the ways of his people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Let me give you a little context for what's going on here. We're, we're in the time, in Isaiah chapter 8, we're in the time of the divided monarchy. You have Israel to the north, you have Judah to the south. Judah's capital is Jerusalem, and there is a king, King Ahaz. King Ahaz took the throne at the age of 20 years old. This is a young man. Uh, at the age of 20, I didn't feel confident to make many decisions, and he's ruling an entire empire. Okay, King Ahaz is the son of Jotham. Jotham, if you recall, I know you all remember this, but Jotham was the king who rebuilt the temple walls. He was a great godly king. People revered him, respected him. They loved Jotham. And then Ahaz comes along and has big shoes to fill. And instead of following in the ways of Yahweh, the God of the Bible, Ahaz decides he's going to follow the ways of the pagans. He's going to abandon Yahweh and he's going to worship foreign gods. And he is being impacted by the culture. Now, so there's already a godless king in Judah. And what is going on at this time, also looming off in the distance, is this vague threat. There's a superpower called Assyria, and Assyria is conquering land after land after land. And this begins to cause fear in the hearts of people. This begins to cause fear in the hearts of the residents of Judah, God's chosen people. They're living under the rule of a godless king. There's the threat of invasion, and they're worried. 
They're concerned. Now, Israel to the north with King Pekah, they, they have a political alliance going on with Syria. And they come to Ahaz and they give him an option. Because Assyria is a threat to us, why don't you join our coalition? And so Ahaz has three options. One, he can join the Assyria, or he, he can join um, Syria and Israel's coalition. Two, he can trust in the Lord as he was commanded to. Or three, he could pull a wild card and go to Assyria and ask for help. And in a wild political move, in an unheard of political move, Ahaz goes to Assyria and asks for help, and all of a sudden war is back on the table. This idea that this this political alliance, this godless um, joining together has created consternation, it has created fear in the everyday common person. Imagine at this time checking Fox News or CNN or Twitter's top trending tr- um, trends and, and really imagining what all is going on here. The people didn't know when war is coming. They didn't know what the market was going to do. They didn't know if their jobs were secure. They didn't know what was going to happen the next day because at any moment war could break. There's fear. These people are living in fear day to day. They don't know what tomorrow holds. They don't know what's going to become of them, what's going to become of their children. The the nest egg they saved up isn't looking as good anymore. There's not as much money there to pass on to their loved ones. There might be health issues for people, and, and there's fear all around. And this, I find it very interesting, this is what God says to Isaiah in the midst of this turmoil. 11, this is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. You see, God says to Isaiah and he says to us today that in the midst of fear, do not follow the ways of this people. Do not follow the ways of this people. You see, the people of Israel and Judah at that time had become so corrupt, so godless, they had abandoned the ways of Yahweh, which is God's proper name. Just by the way, I'll be referencing that a lot. Um, They had abandoned the ways of Yahweh. They had turned away from God, and they were following the ways of the culture. In fact, they were so indoctrinated by culture that the lines between the holy and the profane were blurred. They didn't know what was superstition and what was religion. They didn't know what was good and what was bad. And if you think this sounds familiar, it's because we're living in those days that we have become so indoctrinated by our culture that we don't know which way is up or down anymore. And this is what the people in the time of Judah and the time of Isaiah were struggling with and wrestling with. And the first thing God says to Isaiah is do not walk in those ways. Christian, hear me today. Our vision here at this church, what we thoroughly believe, we truly believe that God has called us to transform the heart of the city. And if we are going to do that, it starts by us looking different. It starts by us not walking in the ways of this world. We are called to be different. And I don't mean slightly different. I don't mean quirky. I mean fundamentally different At our core, the call of the gospel, the call of Jesus Christ on this church and on his people today is to be fundamentally different from the culture. It says this again, warning me not to follow the ways of this people. And so I I hear that and I begin to think, how can I differentiate myself from other people? 
How can I, as a Christian, differentiate myself? And what we like to do as evangelicals here in the Bible Belt is we like to get kind of cheeky with things. And so we put a little Jesus sticker on our car, don't we? And we say, okay, I'm different now. And if we're, if we're really feeling good about ourselves, we get the one where the fish is swallowing the Darwin fish. We're different now. Or we put our church's logo on the back window of our car. Or some of us wear t-shirts that say Jesus on them and, and may have a scripture verse. Or it can be one of those that they had back in the 90s. You had the bracelet that says WWJD. And what we, be, we begin to do is we begin to contrive a list of external actions and behavioral modifications for us to look different from the world. Anybody? I do that. That's not where God goes with this, though. He says, do not walk in the ways that these people walk in. And then he says this in verse 12. Do not call conspiracy everything that this people calls a conspiracy. I wish I had time to get into that uh, with the proliferation of conspiracy theories. But then he goes on to say, do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. You see, Isaiah knew that the political situation was a judgment from God. He had been told that. It's not a conspiracy It's not because of a political alliance. It's because the sovereign God of the universe has directed it this way to punish people who have gone wayward. And he says, do not fear the things that they fear. If we are going to be different, God says it begins with the things we fear. Fear is an interesting animal, isn't it? We fear a lot of things. We fear where our job is going to go. We fear for our mental health. We fear for our physical health. We fear for the um, diagnosis that one of our loved ones got. We fear for our children. I fear some of your children, honestly. We fear our spouse at times. We fear fighting with our spouse. We fear the economy. We fear politics. We demonize one person or another and say this person is the Antichrist and we fear them. Do you know the number one most commanded thing in all of Scripture is not to love your neighbor as you love yourself? It's not forgive as you have been forgiven. The number one most commanded thing in all of Scripture is do not fear. 366 times it shows up. There's only 66 books in the Bible. 366 times we are told, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And then it's always rounded out with, for I am with you. Do not fear. Christian, what is it that you're fearing today? What what has captured your heart and captivated your mind in a negative sense? What are the things that cause you to stay up at night? That when you're laying down on your bed, it's the last thought that goes through your mind. And when you wake up in the morning, it's the first thing that goes through your mind. And it sets the tone of your day. Are you fearing debt? Are you fearing a person? Are you fearing your living situation or your stage of life? Are you fearing the economy or politics or whatever it might be? And he says, do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. 13, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. We are called as believers to have a reverential fear of God. And so what kind of fear are we supposed to have? 
Because the scriptures tell us to stand in awe of God. The scriptures tell us to know very well both the severity and the kindness of God. They tell us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. What is this kind of fear we're going to have? So I'm going to give an example. I have a great dad. I do. And I know that's not the case for everyone in this day and age. Uh, But I have a good father. I have a dad who loves me, who cares for me, who is kind to me, who, who wants my good in life. Uh, my dad wants me to succeed. He wants me to be successful. He wants me to be happy. He wants me to be filled with joy. He wants me to pursue God. There are times where my dad will tell me not to do something or to do something, and you better guess, I listen to him. Why do I listen to him? Because I have a reverential fear of my father. That is not the same as staying up at night and thinking, oh my gosh, my dad's out there somewhere. He's going to get me. And I think some of us have adopted a fear of God. We've swung the pendulum too far and adopted a fear of God that says God is out to be a cosmic killjoy. And he is out to get us when we sin. But the reality is we are called to have a reverential fear of God. In fact, John Murray says that the fear of God is the soul of godliness. Do you wish to be transformed? Do you wish for your life to look different so that you might then go and turn, transform the heart of the city? It starts with a reverential fear of God. I mean, let's just be honest. Don't we fear a lot of things? Um, here's one that we all struggle with. And I, I spent 10 years as a student minister and I saw this in junior high students and I see it with adults now. Don't we fear people? Don't we? I mean, we want to look Like we fit in. We want to buy things with money we don't have to impress people we don't know to get invited to things we don't like to go to, don't we? And we want to fit in. We want to be in the right areas of town. We want to drive the right car. We want to make sure our marriage looks right and our kids are doing right. Why? Because at the end of the day, we fear what other people think about us. We have a fear of people. What a silly fear that is. And, 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 The reality of scripture is that God, a metaphysical being who rules over 200 billion galaxies, we have very little fear for. But we fear what our neighbors think about our yard after a hurricane comes through. We fear that our kids aren't in the right schools. That we're not putting off the right look because we're not wearing the right clothing. We fear silly, silly things. It's like fearing kittens and not lions. It's like fearing a kitten. A kitten comes in the room and you climb up a tree, which is always a bad move. When a kitten comes in, they can climb up trees. But we don't fear the lion. I remember in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a line where Susie is chatting with Mr. Beaver. And she's learning about Aslan, who's the king. If you haven't read Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's spoilers ahead, but you should have read it by now. Um, She says, um, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? I didn't say anything about safe, but he is good. And he's the king, I tell you. Do you have a reverential fear? Are you caught up in awe for God? John Frame, in his book, The Doctrine of the Christian Life, says the reason that we are plagued with superficial Christianity and lack of discipleship is because we do not fear God. That we are so caught up with how a pastor delivers a sermon and the music choices for the day, we neglect the fact that we just stood in the presence of God Almighty during worship. Are you in awe of Him? 
Or are you too busy fearing what culture and society tells us to fear? Isaiah chapter 6 is a very famous passage. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is brought up into the throne room of God and there are cherubim and there are seraphim around and they are pronouncing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and, and the foundations of the temple begin to quake and Isaiah is caught up in the middle of it and he doesn't go up to God and say, hey God, what's up man? I got a lot of questions. No, he bows over, falls flat on his face and says, Woe is me for my eyes. Behold the king. Are you captivated by God? Are we standing in awe and fear and are we trembling before God? Because that is where transformation begins in your life. Are we standing before him in awe? Jesus tells a parable. He tells a parable, it's in Luke, I can't remember the chapter off the top of my head, but he tells a parable about a man who goes out to buy a field, and he says when he was searching for a field, he comes across a treasure, and he hides the treasure, and then he goes and sells everything he has in order to buy the treasure. Why? Because he had to have the treasure. It was of insurmountable value. Christians, the God we serve is the God of insurmountable value. He creates out of nothing. He speaks and all things come into existence. He sent his son to die so that you and I might be reconciled to him in his holiness because no one can do it besides Jesus. Do we stand before this God in all? Do we tremble before him? And so here's our application as we wrap up today. This is kind of an ethereal sermon. It's kind of, kind of a vague thought. Here's my simple application. Do you have a reverential fear of God? When you come into the presence of a holy God, I think sometimes we're too lax. Sometimes we're just too flippant about it. Do you stand in awe of a holy God? You know, we have a, an incredible ability because of Jesus Christ. The scriptures say that we can approach the throne room of grace because of what Jesus has done for us. Do you know in the Old Testament, they didn't have access to God like we have? They had one day where the high priest could go. It was called Yom Kippur, where the priest could go into the Holy of Holies. They had to tie a rope around his leg to pull him out in case God killed him on the spot. That's how holy God is, that there cannot be defilement in his very presence. And we stand in the presence of this God. Your sin, your shame, all of it, we are welcomed in because of Jesus. Because the middle man on the cross said that we could come. And he paid for our sin. Do we stand in awe of him? I am. recently counseled a gentleman who vaguely stated that he was in the military. Um, and so I know a lot of people in the military. I think that's pretty neat. So, and I, I respect our veterans and people who serve. I think that's incredible. And um, <clears throat> went and was telling somebody else who was a friend of his about him. And they said, oh, yeah, he was in Delta Force. <laughs> Immediately, it gave a whole different connotation to uh, the meeting that I had with him. Delta Force? This man could kill me in a million different ways. 
And so now whenever I'm in his presence, there is a reverential fear of this man. There's a reverence that I have for him because of his training and all that he went through. I'm in awe of this guy. I love being around him. In fact, it draws me to him because I stand in awe of what he has done. It draws me to him with this reverential fear. And here's the reality. When we fear God, it draws us to him. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of God is the beginning of our pursuit of Him. Are you fearing God? Or are we too busy fearing the things of man? Are we too busy fearing the silliness of fitting in? Trying to be cool, trying to wear the right things, live in the right areas of town. This, this asinine pursuit. Or are we fearing God because it is the soul of godliness? Let's pray. Father, this morning we profess that it's weird to think of fearing God. In a day and age where we rightly espouse, where we justly espouse the love and the forgiveness and the righteousness and the holiness of God, we don't often talk about the fear of God. And yet it's a recurring theme throughout the scriptures. And so today we stand in awe of you. And this fear, it doesn't drive us away, it draws us near. It draws us near, similar to how a lion at the zoo draws us close because it's majestic, it's beautiful, it's big, and we stand in awe of them. The Grand Canyon, as deadly as it is, it draws us in, it inspires us, and in the same way, we are inspired by your holiness. Father, help us to be transformed, not with external actions and white-knuckling our way to closeness with you, but through a genuine fear of who you are. And so we love you, Lord. We praise you and we stand in awe of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.